Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a Contact Us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in Listen Land, welcome back. This is episode 72 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back this week. We've got an amazing guest for you. But before we get into all that, welcome my co-host here, Mr. Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve-O? Hey, good to be back on the show, Tucker. Good to be back on. It's been a wild few weeks since we last were on. I think our last episode was right before the eclipse. And here we are a few weeks later on a nice, beautiful, early September, cloudy day. And the clouds... Well, beautiful, beautiful, I don't know. I mean, it, <laughs> it would be, right? Except for... Yeah, the clouds are not what you want clouds to be. They are ash and smoke and not full of rain, which I think we desperately need. What do you think of that whole gorge fire mess? You know, I was I was withholding my opinion until I kind of got the story. I mean, we've all been young and done stupid things. I had a, a fireworks story back, I don't know, I was probably in college. And Have you ever lit off, what are they called, those little rockets where there's a bunch of them? They're Saturn missiles, right? They're a really like bad mortars, idea. Mortars or something? Mortars no, they're, something like, like, they're like a bunch of little mini bottle rockets that are in the same box. And so you light them and they all go off one after another after another. And there's like, there can be 50, there can be 100. Anyway, I lit off one of those one time and it tipped itself over and it was in like a cul-de-sac full of families watching. And it oh, tipped wow. over and people were jumping over chairs and doing all kinds of stuff. And that was kind of my stupid kid moment with lighting off a firework that shouldn't have been lit off in a situation it was in. But... Point being, Very I was, different story, though. Very different story. Yeah, so I was withholding. Sounds like it's coming out. Yeah, I was withholding judgment because you don't know, like, were they lighting them off by the river and a bottle rocket took a hard right and went into the trees or whatever and, you know, did something just kind of go awry, which, as I found out last night, wasn't the case. It was just pure and utter stupidity. So, yeah, it's it's really sad, man. It's it's too bad that, you know, there's there's being young, dumb, and then there's just being dumb, dumb, right? And I think this was a dumb... Or malicious. Yeah. Or malicious. Basically, I mean, yeah, just absolute troublemaker. So if you're the prosecutor, what do you do? Do you try him as an adult and throw the book at the, the young guy? 
I think you actually should the parents should have to pay something like they, there should be some repercussions here because they raised probably one of the stupidest kids that I've ever <laughs> heard of. So that there should be punishment for that. But, you know, I heard a debate about it this morning and, you know, you can kind of go two ways with kids, right? What's done is done. You can put him in juvie or jail and he'll probably be a leech on society for the rest of his life, more than likely. Or you can basically, you know, put him to, I don't know, 50,000 hours of heart, you know, of, of community service of some sort that he needs to do that's specific. I think that would be a more fitting punishment because he'd really have to remember what a stupid decision that was for a long, long time. And, and hopefully he could be a somewhat productive member of society doing work for society moving forward for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of people calling for blood. I mean, asking oh, for something no, no doubt about that. serious to happen. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I mean, here's here's the reality. I think, I mean, regardless of what, what happens from a punitive standpoint, I predict the family moves out of the area. He will forever be dubbed the guy who burned down Multnomah Falls. Remember that guy that caught that ball from the Cubs fans that basically yeah, ruined yeah. their playoff run? Yep. He's that guy of Portland. Maybe worse. Maybe, Maybe worse. Well, definitely yeah, worse, I mean, but they, they won't release his name because, yeah, it would not be good for him and his family to do that. Yeah. Right? Well, but there's going to be people that know, and it's going to, you know, it'll get out. I'm not I'm not saying it'll be in the media per se, but I predict that there's a rough road ahead for some people, including the parents, unfortunately, and they may they may be great people and, and did their best with their, their child, and, and this is just you know, something that spilled over outside of that. But yeah, I predict they're, they're moving to Texas or Nebraska or something where people don't know what the gorge, the crown jewel of the Northwest is and Multnomah Falls. And otherwise around here, I just, I just think, man, he's going to be, he's going to be forever the guy that charred our, you know, gorgeous landscape of one of people's most favorite areas. So horrible situation. It's so sad because I was actually at a listing, believe it or not, Tucker, Two buildings down from where you're sitting right now. It's those condos. I mean, when you come out of your front doors to the right there, few buildings down. I had a listing appointment there Saturday afternoon. I mean, probably around the time this was all happening. It was a beautiful, sunny, blue sky day. And I remember because I'm at this listing, I could see these gorgeous views of Mount Hood and the river there. And we had been hearing about these fires in Bend. In fact, we were debating, some people within our company were debating whether they were going to go to Bend for the weekend, and everyone's like, eh, no, their air is terrible over there, and there's a lot of fires going on, let's just stick home, and we were so fortunate to have everything going in our favor in that regards, and sure enough, within that day, I mean, I, I came home, and I have some views of the gorge and Mount Hood out, out one of my windows, and I started getting the reports, and I looked over, and you could start to see the smoke going up, and then it just went bad from there. So, yeah, yeah, it's really unfortunate. No bueno. That's what my overall feeling on it is. But anyway, that aside, we've got a really cool show today. We've got an amazing guest that I'm sure many people will be familiar with. I'll introduce him, but I guess I'll give a little uh, a pre-introduction. So I did a little wikipedia as well, Steve, just so I could make sure that I got this right. Obviously, I, I know not on, uh, beyond this, but I wanted to make sure that I got his accolades correct. So He's basically a two-time MLS champion. He had a 14-year professional soccer career. And most importantly, he's a retired Portland Timber for all the local fans here. So without further ado, I want to welcome Nat Borchers to the show. Nat, welcome, bud. Thanks, guys. Absolutely honored to be with you today. 
So we've got, you know, a list of questions and whatnot that I want to go through, but maybe just for those people that aren't crazy soccer fans, because there's only about three of them in Portland, but for those that aren't, maybe give, you know, give our listeners maybe a little background on, on who you are and, and just kind of how you ended up here in Portland. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I started, grew up in Colorado, went to school at the University of Denver and started playing professional soccer for the Colorado Rapids in Colorado. Played a few years there. Decided I wanted to go to Europe and, and see how good I was. So I went over there, played in the Norwegian League for two years, which was an absolute struggle. We were doing like triple days and running our butts off all the time. And so I came back and to my career with Major League Soccer, seven years with Salt Lake. I got traded from Salt Lake 2015 to the Portland Timbers. And then at the end of the, well, midway through this last season in 2016, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. And so I had that. That decision day that most professional athletes get to where, hey, you know, you got to figure out what you want to do. You want to keep going and, and push the body a little bit further or do you want to go a different route? So I chose the second part of that. And here I am. So the Achilles is obviously that's kind of a career ender for a lot of people, isn't it? I mean, when you get to the tail end of your career, when that one goes, it's it's tough to come back from that, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people think it's a painful injury too. It's not. It's just, you know, you do it, you think you sprain your ankle, you look down and your foot doesn't work anymore. And then you you go through a process of rehabilitation, which takes, you know, took me about nine months to get back to where I am, which I haven't played soccer since, but you know, I'm running and doing things. I'm active. But yeah, obviously it's, it's not a, an easy thing to come back from for sure. Yeah, that was the uh, Wesley Matthews injury. Remember that? Steve. Yeah. Before he got <laughs> traded, that was that popped on him on the court. But yeah, nasty injury. But sorry to hear that. But anyway, Steve, you had a question. Yeah, a couple quick questions for you now about your about your career, just your observations. So you played in the European League. How does how do the American leagues compare? Uh, well, I played in the Norwegian League. So the Norwegian League is like the redheaded stepchild to like the big time leagues out there. You know, uh, the German league, the Spanish league, the English league, the Italian league, they're the big time leagues, but the Norwegian league is like the stepping stone to get there. And so when I left MLS in 2006, the MLS just wasn't as good as it is now. And so the Norwegian league, I would say was better. And then it's funny, I came back to the major league soccer and it was better. There were more teams and more money coming into the game. So I would say MLS is actually better than that league now. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's changed. The landscape has changed dramatically in the last 10, 15 years here in this country towards soccer. Is it weird how people some people call it football over there and some people call it soccer? Does that ever get confusing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where you kick the ball with your foot. So I've never really understood. Yeah, why. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, it's just and you got the one kicker for American football. It's like, you know, what's he doing it out is, there? Yeah. <laughs> it, it is really true. When you actually slice it that way, you're like, we, we're kind of the weirdos that took the wrong name. Yep. Yep. What do you cool. think in terms of like you've played in a few cities now and I don't want to dwell on this too much, but how do you think Portland really ranks up? Because it seems to me like it's a crazy soccer city. Is it that seem that way to you having played both in Denver and Salt Lake and now Portland comparatively? Yeah. So, you know, my perspective, you know, was was, uh, you know, playing for Salt Lake and we had a good rivalry with Portland. We were, you know, beating each other up in the playoffs and Portland was always our favorite road trip. You know, we'd come here, we'd stay at the nines downtown. We, you know, we go to voodoo donuts. We'd, you know, go to the coffee shops and 
explore the nightlife after games and we loved it i mean the stadium was downtown the the fans were i would say the best in the league and you know it's soccer city usa so you know there's no better place to be a professional soccer player in america i think than than portland which is why you know i i really fell in love with this place when i i started playing here wow that's impressive to hear very cool. Well, what at what point then, because obviously you had kind of had that unfortunate crossroads with the Achilles injury. At what point was it prior to that, I'm assuming, that you decided or realized that you wanted to obviously have a career after soccer? And so that probably led you to real estate. When was that point for you? That's a great question, Tucker. So in 2005, I picked up you know a, a book off the shelf. It was this purple book had this Asian guy on the on the cover, Rich Dad Poor Dad. I read yeah. that cover cover, and you know it just totally shifted my mindset in terms of you know investing. What I was being taught in college, you know about IRAs and pensions and four hundred one ks, and I was like, it kind of hit me, slapped me, you know, right in the face with knowledge. I was like, I can do something differently, and you know, I've got the ability to have more control over something. And I was looking at my career, I was saying my goodness, you know, I'm going to have to retire when I'm in my mid thirties and have some sort of a stream of income. So, you know, I don't want to wait till I'm 59 and a half to retire. I really was influenced by that book. And then I bought my first property in Denver. It was an estate sale and this thing was just beat up. My buddy and I you know, bought it together. This is 05 stated income loans. We bought 5% down. We had an 80, 15 and we rehabbed the property ourselves, fixed it up and rented it out. And we had a really good experience. And I was just bitten by the real estate bug and i've basically been a cash flow investor ever since so Nat, that was in 05 you started 06 yeah and you did weather the downturn okay through that process huh i did but i you know i made my mistakes you know i, I bought <laughs> I, i've got my alligator story so i, I bought a condo <laughs> in 08 when i came back from playing in norway and i thought oh yeah this could be like the same thing with everything I've bought so far. I'm just going to buy it. It's going to appreciate. I'm going to sell it at some point in time, take the proceeds, 1031 it, do whatever. And, you know, within six months of that purchase, that property was worth a hundred grand less than what I had purchased it for. And I had realized that I hadn't even really taken into some other fundamentals into account when purchasing the property in terms of what I could rent it for, the HOA fee, things like that. So I, I definitely learned a lot from that, but I, I didn't, it didn't stop me. I kept buying. I just I started buying single family properties and duplexes and triplexes and fourplexes and stayed away from the condo game. You hold them, right? It's a long term buy and hold, or did you flip? Yeah, correct. So I, I I've done flipping. I've done some flipping. I'm not a big fan. It's not really my niche. You know, it, it's just too labor intensive, really, for for my taste. So I prefer, you know, to just buy, you know, existing inventory, you know, hold it for a period of three to five years, then some point in time, sell it, you know, 1031 it in something bigger. Hmm. I have similar stories <laughs> from back in the day, but that HOA fee will bite you in the butt. That's for sure. That and of course, you know, depreciating real estate market, but HOAs always seem to go up even as real estate market prices go down, or at least they did. And the other thing that I found to be just a, a horrible pain in the you know what is the county of Multnomah for the ones that I owned were also increasing property taxes each year in a time when real estate values were decreasing dramatically. And that was a huge argument to try and get them to actually reverse that on any particular condo in a condo complex. They had to have like they had a ridiculous rule set up that could never be met in order to actually do that. So. Yeah, I I feel your pain on the bad decision condos because I had a I had a couple of my own back in the day. 
Oh, and then the the other horrific thing with condos that you just is you're not in complete control of the property. I mean, you're one of many members of the HOA and there's no guarantees it's going to be run correctly and there's not going to be a special assessment. I've seen so many issues over the years as a realtor where a special assessment or litigation comes along and there's just a black cloud over that that building for sometimes years where you cannot sell outside of a cash transaction values plummet i mean i'm not totally anti condo for you know for buyers that they have their place but yeah you you do give up a lot of control with them for sure for sure i think there's a big complex called tanglewood <laughs> like oswego that's been under that yeah. black cloud for a long time there's, there's a few there's a few all over <laughs> that's for sure so all right. Well, hey, now that you're retired, what does the next chapter look like for you in terms of your real estate career? I mean, obviously, you got a lot more time on your hands. You know, I know you're actively investing. What What does that chapter look like for you right now? Yeah. So, you know, I, I got pretty heavily involved in Salt Lake and I built up a portfolio there. You know, again, we we're, we we're focused mainly on the residential market. And, you know, I came, you know, we got traded, you know, in my my family and I, I say we got traded in 2015. So we, we want, you know, we're really hands on, you know, I like to be, you know, in a market, I like to see my property manager face to face, you know, I like to, you know, meet my contractors, meet my agents all face to face. So I was looking around, and I was like, you know, where can I do that in Oregon? Because Portland made absolutely no sense in terms of the price points that you guys have here, you know, like $400,000 house, you know, that's got you know, I don't know, 1,500 square feet, four bedrooms, two baths. It, you know, I just can't make the numbers work with the way I invested. So I started looking around and I, I looked at different markets, you know, in Vancouver and, you know, just across the river. And, you know, I looked at Beaverton, Aloha, Gresham and Eugene, Springfield, and nothing really spoke to me until I got to Salem. And so I got to Salem and I started looking around and, you know, found some other investors and found some, you know, really good people to work with for acquisitions. And I said, Hey, this works for me. So we started uh, business down there, you know, just earlier uh, this year, and it's been a lot of fun. Steve, wow. I know you're pretty familiar with Salem, right? Yeah, yeah, I know the Salem market well. I grew up down just outside of Salem, so and spent the better part of my first, you know, couple decades of my life down there. Are you generally doing financing, Nat, on your purchases, or do you have like a like a REIT REIT that you set up? Is that kind of how you're operating? Yeah, capital obviously is the biggest, I think, part of this game for anybody who's trying to get into it. You know, you have to have access to capital, uh, you know, either your own or somebody else's, you know, preferably somebody else's. So, you know, the way I structure, you know, my deals, it's, I guess, uh, a combination of three separate pots, you could say. So the first one is my own money. The second one is private money. So I've got private investors who come in on the debt side on these deals. And then I've got a commercial lender down in Salem who works with me for these acquisitions. Oh, so you're you're taking like 10 properties and bundling them into a commercial loan or something like that? Yeah, very similar to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, have a good relationship with a bank down there that's local, that knows what I'm doing, you know, that likes what I'm doing. So, you know, that, that's been fantastic for me to grow. You know, and in some situations I've got, you know, an investor who says, hey, I, I'd love to be you know, involved, but I, I just don't want to deal with the day to day, the, the headaches, you know, so, you know, what can you do for me? And I'll, I'll say, okay, uh, you know, you can be in a first position or a second position, depending on, you know, where you want to be in terms of your risk and the rate of return. And, you know, they'll, they'll get a, you know, a nice, you know, monthly return, you know, and I'll get, uh, you know, to, you know, acquire more real estate. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I work with a builder down in the Salem area. I list, I list a decent amount of homes there. 
Their market is quite a bit lower price point than ours. And it, what's also interesting is I think markets like that, when if we feel a cool down, I think they it hits them a little bit later. I think it definitely takes a while for them to hear feel it versus here in the Portland metro area. I think and part I of think, that is probably numbers, right? So like now maybe real quick, I mean, we talked about numbers, right? In Portland, you buy a, let's say, approximately median priced house, 400 grand, right? Three bedroom, two bath, 1,500 square feet, depending on area, of course. It rents for... 1700 a month, right? On the high side. You know, what is what do the numbers look like on the rentals that you're acquiring in Salem, just so that we can kind of compare apples to apples? Yeah, it's a great question, Tucker. And, you know, it's, you know, I was surprised when I saw, you know, what kind of rents we can get in Salem, because, you know, I just wasn't expecting the demand to be so high. But if you just look at how many people are moving here to, to Oregon and, and the, you know, the, the growth rate that you guys have had over the last few years here, it's pretty eye popping. And, you know, I'll give you an example. So I bought a property in Northeast Salem for 180 earlier this year. It cost me, you know, five grand to close. I paid closing costs, 10 grand to rehab. So I was all in about 195. And I'm getting about $1,700 a month back in rents. It's a four bedroom, two bathroom property, about 1,300 square feet. Interesting. So it's yeah. just, you know, and that was probably a, a decent deal, but it's just shy of the 1% rule approximately in Salem is pro- probably what you're looking for, right? Yeah, yeah. And in Salt Lake City, I was getting the 1%, you know, I was getting 1% consistently. But, he, you know, in Salem, it's it's a little bit tougher to get that. So I'm trying to, you know, obviously get close. But, you know, where I'm at in, you know, I guess my, you know, my kind of evolving learning process here with being a real estate investor, I'm starting to focus more on commercial deals now. So I'm really, you know, focusing my time and energy on, you know, scaling and trying to get more units under one roof versus having, you know, a bunch of different properties spread out, you know, across town. Hmm. And that seems to be the kind of the maturation process for most people, you know, especially as you get to the point where you accumulate enough equity and you consolidate, you know, via 1031 exchange, roll it into something bigger, right? That's the whole idea. Exactly. Yeah. And it just, you know, everybody, you know, I, I was always afraid of it because I was like, well, you know, once I, you know, that's just such a, you know, just the numbers are so much bigger and, you know, the conceivably the headaches are much bigger, but every you know, person I've talked to has, who has made that jump investor or uh, experienced person. Otherwise is like, Hey, you got to do it, man. You, if you want to you know, make that move and, and, and really utilize that equity, utilize the 1031 exchange. Actually, I'd listen to you guys. Got to give you guys a quick plug. I listened to you guys when you guys interviewed Toya Utler the other, you know, a few months ago with her 1031 exchange company. And I'm actually working with them right now to move some reposition, some uh, equity from a few properties in Salt Lake over to Salem. And she's been <laughs> awesome to work with. So she is great. In, yeah. I appreciate the info from you guys there. Did you, did you tell her where you came from? You know what? I, I, I didn't get a word in edgewise, man. She was just n- talking. <laughs> I mean, she was just, I mean, wealth of information. I was just like, Toya, yeah, slow down. All right. I'm not that smart. You got to give me a little bit more time to process this, but uh, no, she was great. That's great to hear. She, I, I love her. She is great. She is great. And she really knows her stuff. She really does. So just so everybody kind of knows, when I said the 1% rule and me and Nat were talking about it, it's basically 1% of what you purchased the property for. You're all in the property per month in rent. So, you know, if he's all in at 180000 and you rent for 1800 a month, you're basically at 1%. But from the numbers he was talking about, he's just shy of that. Salt Lake City has a little stronger rent per versus what you have to pay for a property. So it's a little easier to get 1% or even a touch more there than it would be, you know, in any market around here. Now, Portland, we're at like a half a percent, rule, that, right? Which yeah. makes it not very appealing to buy rental properties here. Now, 
it does happen occasionally. We're looking at we're buying a duplex right now in the Milwaukee area that is actually at one percent on about three hundred and I don't know, some thousand dollars, but it's a rarity to be able to find that. And, you know, so that's why investors generally try and find markets where you can get higher rents per what you got to pay for the property overall. Duplexes tend to get to do better, but they don't appreciate as as fast as a detached. Yeah, duplexes, I mean, because usually you're 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 basically getting, you know, two rents under this under one roof and they they tend to cash flow a little bit better than detached. But the demand for them is just isn't as quite as much. And so you, over the long haul, you don't see quite the appreciation has been my experience. But Right. But if you can buy a duplex at 1% rule, you can yeah. sell it at a half a percent rule, which means yeah. that you're making a lot of money in between here in Portland. So yeah. either way, just wanted to clarify for everybody listening. So. Oh, that's great. It's good stuff. So and, now, and, and that easily explains, you know, the difference between Portland and Salem, those two scenarios and, and, and how that, because back to that $400,000 house, You'd have to rent that for four thousand a month. Yeah. You know, some average detached house in, you know, Tigard or Tualatin for four hundred thousand. There is no chance in heck you're gonna rent that for four thousand a month. So Yeah, exactly. And that's why <laughs> Portland's an equity market and Salem's kind of a quasi equity market slash cash flow market, but you know, it's kind of in the middle. So yeah, anyway. exactly. And then, and you know, Steve, to your point about, you know, detached single family homes appreciating in value much better than duplexes, I would have to agree with that just because, you know, I, just the properties that I'm selling in Salt Lake now, you, I mean, some of the, you know, the increases in value have been incredible since you know, I purchased these properties back in 2010, 2011, 2012. And it's like the duplexes just didn't have that same kind of appreciation. So definitely, you know, as an investor, you know, it's not a bad idea to have you know, a little bit of, you know, some single family mixed in with some, you know, income producing properties. I think it just really helps out your portfolio and your equity position. Absolutely agree with that statement. Yeah. That yeah. and buying in 2010, you just couldn't go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the sky was, was still falling then. So you just you never knew what the, the future could hold. You know, you just had yeah. to kind of go in there and have a lot of faith. Yeah. yeah. You're this being rewarded for that. It's true. So what what does your business look like right now? Now we know you know you're mainly investing in Salem area, but in terms of like the actual operations, is it basically you and some money partners and and some outside property managers, or what does that look like for you to have this business going? Yeah, so I, I'm pretty small small business. I mean, it, it's me. I've got my private money partners. You know, I've got my you know accountant, my lawyer, you know, my property manager, my real estate agent down there are the two people I talk to the most, you know, they're the ones who, you know, are helping me coordinate, you know, rehabs. They're the ones, you know, obviously finding me deals. You know, I'm working with a real estate company down there called Legacy Real Estate. So they help me with both acquisitions, you know, on the buy side and then property management on that side. So it's just, it's been a relief to find somebody who, who can understand, you know, what I'm trying to do in terms of acquiring property, plus, you know, be able to manage the day-to-day of the the tenants and and the rehabs. So no actual employees in-house, Nat? You know, I, I hired a, an intern for the summer. You know, he was home for college break. He wanted to, you know, hang out for, you know, learn a little bit about the real estate business. So he he helped me out for a little bit, but you know, it wasn't anything super formal. So it's just just pretty much me and you know, my wife's at home with two crazy kids, ages three and one. So she's not helping me as much as she used to. Yeah, yeah, cool. I feel her pain because I'm, you know, <laughs> right there with you in terms of crazy kids that are about that age. So yeah. Yep. Yep. No sleep, get to work and just try to focus and not, not off. Yeah. But I think it's a good point that you make though, in terms of, you know, it's pretty cool that you can run a business like this. And I'm sure this is a lot of what attracted you to real estate. You need 
partners per se, but you don't need employees necessarily to run the type of business that you're running, which, you know, ultimately can be a great business. It's got tremendous tax advantages. You're building wealth and you don't have the headache of a lot of employees. So it's, it's really a tremendous business to be able to run that way. Absolutely. And then that's what really attracted me to, to this whole real estate you know, game. It's just like, hey, you know, anybody can do it. You know, you just need to, you know, figure out where you want to be. You're, you're obviously, you know, in the development side, you know, Steve, you're obviously, you know, over there, you know, kicking some butt in the brokerage side, you know, I'm over here on the investment side, you know, and, I, and you can make money in, in all three of those different, you know, areas of real estate. Now, I don't think that, you know, any one is a bad place to be. Yeah. And it's all about mastering your niche and really, getting good at that that component the one that you're focused on i think the biggest mistake you know listeners can make is hey i'm a real estate broker oh but now i'm gonna buy this lot i found a lot and i'm gonna build a house and and then hey once i build that house i'm gonna keep it as a rental and they're just you know they're just they're a jack of all trades they're doing everything a little bit and not really mastering and honing in on on that one you know component that that they can excel at and really shine at which that kind of leads me to maybe a rabbit hole question. So in terms of being an investor and working with agents, and hopefully Steve won't take offense to this or neither will our listeners, what, what's been some of your biggest challenges in terms of finding you know, now an agent that you're working with down there? But what, what were some challenges that you ran across in talking with other agents or trying to work with other agents in terms of being an investor and trying to buy certain types of properties? Yeah, great question, Tucker. You know, I, I think it's always strange to me when I meet real estate agents who, you know, don't know anything about investing in real estate or don't invest themselves because they are right there in the market. They get to see deals. They get to see, you know, what's a good deal, what's not a good deal, you know, where are the hot markets, where are they not hot? You know, so there's like some real insider knowledge there, you know, and, and you can capitalize that on that and, and make money and monetize that. So, you know, when I was going through, you know, trying to find somebody who you know, could work with me. I, I was always looking for somebody who, okay, do you understand what I'm looking for? And, you know, I need to know that you understand that price point first. And then I need you to understand, you know, what rents I'm looking for. So the guy I'm working with down in, in Salem, his name's Phil Bailey. He's a former property manager. So he can walk through a house. I don't even have to be there. He can FaceTime me in if, if he wants to and say, hey, you know, here's a property, you know, in Salem, it's in the, you know, on the West side, you know, it's got all these features, blah, 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 but it's going to ultimately, you know, cost you, you know, 10 grand to rehab. And it's going to, you know, probably bring you back $1,500 a month in rents. And that was like most important thing for me. Okay. How much is it going to cost me, you know, and what is it going to give me back in rents? And I think, you know, knowing those numbers, you know, were really important for me. And, you know, I've, I've seen it, you know, I've executed it on it now. And so he, and he's been right so far. Uh, so I don't have to kick him in the butt too much. And it's been a really good relationship. Yeah, that's great. Steve, do you work with many investors or are you pretty much only homeowner no, these days? That's not my niche. That's yeah. not my niche. You have to show a lot of properties to get a, a sale. <laughs> so you what you're saying is investors, investors are pain in the ass to work with yeah, and, I mean, and vice Phil, versa. Bless <laughs> Phil's heart. I, I'm glad you have him now. But I mean, for that one he calls you for and it says, hey, this one makes sense. He's probably looked at 40 others, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there's obviously there's weeks when they go by where, you know, I haven't bought anything or I pulled the trigger or anything. And he's you know, he's obviously saying, Hey, you know, I got to get paid here. Um, you know, he wants me to, you know, make a move on something. And, you know, it's, it's obviously difficult because you have to, you know, as a, as an agent, you know, you have to be able to be working with a lot of different people and you have to find somebody who's going to actually pull the trigger. Cause there's a lot of investors out there who, you know, are, are full of hot air. They want to do a deal and, but they just don't know what to do. They don't have the capital. Yeah. They obviously just ha don't have the knowledge to, to make it work. So, you know, you got to find the right people to work with. That's just huge. If you're a real estate agent. 
Well, and you sound like you're loyal. And that's kind of rare in the investor world, too. And that's the other problem is if you, you know, from an agent side, if if you are working with investors, so many of them are not loyal. They'll, you know, they'll say, hey, find me this place. And they'll, you'll show them, you know, you'll show them 40 houses that don't work. And then all of a sudden they're, they've closed on something because it fell in their lap from somebody else or some other, some other manner. The thing I will say now is in the investor world, I, I like your approach. I would be far more inclined to work with somebody with your approach than a flipper. Those ones are even more brutal because they're looking for that deal that just is so, so such a needle in the haystack. So it's a unique niche. Um, some agents do it really, really well, but I kind of have gone with the niche of, you know, owner occupied, you know, living, going to live in the home, doesn't need it to be the best deal in the world as much. It's a little bit more of an emotional purchase. And then setting up the systems and the team and the infrastructure that really creates a good experience for them, makes it smooth, helps them add some perks along the way so that they have a good, you know, transition, because that is really what they're doing is making a transition. So I've liked that niche, but I'm glad you have a good person that works well for you because it is important. So you talk about loyalty, Steve, you know, and I think that's huge in, in, in this business in general. You know, I, I want to work with the same agent. I want to work with the same title company. I want to work with the same property manager. You know, I want to work with the same contractors. I want to, I want everybody to be, you know, my friends and I want to work with them, you know, all the time. Obviously it doesn't always work that way because, you know, some people are better than others, but when you find good people, you have to run with them. I know you guys mentioned, uh, you know, one of your shows, Steve, about a, you know, a, a client who, you know, you spent a lot of time with and they ended up, you know, not working out with you, went with somebody else. And, you know, I, I just, I find that bizarre, you know, when you work with somebody and, and you spend a lot of time with them and, you know, you, you have to pay them back in terms of loyalty if you're the client and they're your real estate agent. I think that's just so important in this business. Yeah. And for the long haul, that mentality will serve you well. You know, in the short term, sometimes it may, it may not seem like it's going to serve you well. If something falls in your lap and, and, you know, buyers are quick to, to throw their agent under the bus and just jump to some other better scenario. But for somebody who has that long-term big picture mentality, that loyalty will serve them well over the, the big course of time for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that that's on the other side of the business too. I mean, I think there was an article that came out what yesterday that Randy, who's a friend of the show posted on Facebook about how DR Horton's having a hard time finishing their houses, mm-hmm. right? So people can move in. Well, they man, are. Be, they, yeah, I have one in escrow right now. They are. <laughs> and, and so their loyalty to people is not that great. You know, it's all about who can get stuff done for the cheapest. And Randy was making the point that, you know, they pay their their subs fairly and they try and keep the same guys for years. We do the same thing. And that really helps because if you got to have loyalty all around in this business, whether it's, you know, sticking with a, a realtor in Nat's case that knows what he's doing for you and he understands that, you know, Nat's going to be loyal to him. And, you know, in the long term, it'll all work out. But then on our side as well, you know, being loyal to those that help us put the product out to market that we're trying to create. It's it's, it's super important in this business. I mean, yep. it's a people business, right? Real estate's a people business. It's just the product is, is houses. But at the end of the day, it's really a people business. Yep. Very yep, true. absolutely. Well said. Now, what's your take on current market conditions? Well, I mean, uh, you know, it's at least in Salem, you know, I don't follow the Portland markets as closely, of course, as you guys do. But the Salem markets, you know, still... A seller's market. It just seems that, you know, the sellers have, you know, they have all the cards, you know, they, you know, it's difficult to, you know, get concessions. It's really difficult to, you know, find deals, you know, more difficult than it was, you know, a few years ago, of course, you know, I, I'm finding, you know, the, 
the best way to, to do a deal sometimes is actually not using my agent. So there are times when, you know, I will go directly to the seller and say, Hey, you know, obviously my agent hasn't found this property. You know, I, I found this property and I'll say, Hey, you know, do you, do you want to work with me directly? You know, we'll, I'll give you a deal and, you know, we'll obviously avoid paying those, those costs and, you know, hopefully save each other some money. So that's, you know, that's one way I've, I've done it to, to help save with those costs. And obviously the other way is with the inspection, you know, you, you obviously, you do a property inspection, you find out what, you know, what problems this property has and you negotiate from there. So that's obviously, you know, a way to get, you know, those prices down, but it's, it's hot. There's no doubt about that. I, I just, I think we all, at least in the investor world, are hoping things will cool down so that it'll, it'll be easier to find deals, you know, for, for us in the future. Now, do you foresee yourself now you've been through a massive downturn, so it'll be interesting to, I mean, so you have a lot of perspective here and you were buying during that. Do you foresee yourself, foresee market conditions changing in such a manner that you, you go to the sidelines for a while? Or do you think even if you see a correction coming, you're just going to keep buying and, and almost kind of like a dollar cost averaging standpoint, hey, it's, it'll, you know, as long as I keep buying them, it's going to come back. Oh, that's a great question, Steve. You know, and probably, you know, three or four years ago, I, I would have just said, you know, hey, you know, if things change, I might just kind of take a few years off and not do anything. But I, I feel like I, I love investing so much just from a philosophical standpoint and enjoyment. You know, I love, you know, investing. I love being a part of the game. So I think I would continue to do it anyways. But I think, you know, dollar cost averaging, like you said, I think, you know, you, nobody can predict the future. Like none of us know, you know, what's around the corner for sure. We know that, you know, we've gone through this crazy recession and it's changed, you know, a lot of people's financial situations and it's, you know, open up opportunities for, you know, some people and, you know, what's up next and around the corner may change again. Uh, but, you know, for me, I, I just want to continue to do it. And I don't know that the next downturn is going to look like this last one did. So, I, you know, I, I'm kind of basing my whole business model anyways on the fact that Oregon is a fantastic place to live. People are moving here in droves because, hey, you know, this is, you know, we've got all these amazing things. We got the hiking, you know, the, the mountains, got the, the gorge. <laughs> we won't talk about the gorge <laughs> we got you know all these great places to to kind of live you know all the wineries you know all these things that are that make oregon great i think you know what impressed you know my wife and i most about coming here just is the people and so you know we we feel like you know this is just a great place to invest uh, real estate is just uh you know driven by you know the market you know and, and every market is different and i think this is a, a fantastic market to be in i think it's going to be fantastic for a long time and I think Salem's going to benefit as Portland gets more and more expensive and more and more crowded and traffic gets worse here. I think Salem will be that that place that tremendously benefits from that as people, you know, I could see, you know, some small, small operations and companies set up shop there. I know Wilsonville has a lot of industry and those people, it's it's a really easy drive from Wilsonville to Salem. Now, from Lake Oswego Wilsonville to Lake no, Oswego. From Lake Oswego to Wilsonville is not such a great job. But if you yeah. if you are in Wilsonville and you you bop on the freeway and drive to Salem, it is not a bad drive. No, it's it's definitely not. But on a side note, you know Nat's business model is one uh, that you can really continue with no matter what's going on with the market because he's he's buying based off cash flow fundamentals, right? So as long as his you know debt costs don't spiral out of control if rates go up, i.e. he's got you know some form of longer term you know rates locked in on the on the debt that he does have, if it makes sense today, it makes sense in three years, right? Regardless of what's going on with the market, because it's cash flow type investing. When the market improves again or in the next cycle upward, 
that's the point where he can kind of clear the deck, take the equity and shift it over to something else. But it's not like he's putting himself in a position to gamble, really. Does that make sense, Steve? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And what I heard Nat say is that he loves what he's doing. So, I mean, even, yeah, you're not gonna even stop if he's that, doing right? it with a little bit different returns, as long as it's penciling, he wants to keep doing it. And I applaud him for that. And that's usually when people get really good at something, too, by the way. From my experience, when you love what you're doing and that's when it, it becomes like a game and it's fun and, and people really hone in and, and, and master the craft. I bet you, you know did that I, with soccer too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, that's I would I would imagine so. Yeah, no, I mean it, it's like like I said, you know, it's just such a you know it's a people business, like you guys said, and you know it, it is a great way to to build wealth. And you know, it, again, you know, people are so. I think we're also hung up on you know these you know four hundred one ks and IRAs, and you know people don't look at you know real estate as a you know retirement type of investment as much as they should. I think it's, you know, a great way. And if you want to retire early, you know, I don't want to work till I'm, you know, 60 years old. I want to, you know, retire when I want to retire. And I think that, you know, with real estate, you can do that. And it's like, you know, you don't have to pay as much in taxes. There are just so many, you know, benefits, you know, financially to to being in business. And I, I would encourage anybody out there who's listening to to get up, you know, off the sidelines and come down to Salem and, you know, invest with me. Yeah. I once I heard a great saying, Nat, it was basically, I think it was like a senator who said it or a congressman or something. He said, you'd have to be a genius to invest in real estate and pay very much in taxes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I always liked that. I thought it was good because there is, there's some tremendous. And what people have, don't, I mean, what's important to understand with that is we're not talking about owning one house or even two houses. We're talking about, you know, when you have, when you can file your taxes and say that you are a real estate investor professional, then you start to take on some serious deductions that other people don't get to have. So, i.e., depreciation, which yeah, is legal yep. tax avoidance. So, yep, you know mm-hmm. that's that's the it's big a beautiful one. beautiful word deprecation. Love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, something hey, I, yeah. we could all use a lot more of on our tax returns. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> we were going to ask you, did you have any crazy, funny stories in the trenches to do with any of your purchases, maybe tenants that did something? Yeah. So, you know, a few years ago when I was in Salt Lake and you know, I was actively managing my own properties because I didn't know any better and I really wanted, I just couldn't trust anybody with my properties. So, you know, I had this little triplex in Salt Lake City. It was about, you know, a mile away from my house. And, you know, it's the night before a game. You know, it's about, I want to say like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I'm about to go to bed and I get, you know, a phone call. It's from one of my tenants. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to answer this because it's the night before a game. I'm focusing. I don't want to mess around with, you know, any issues right now. So they call again, you know, and I'm like, oh, crap, it must be something. So like, I <laughs> I end up answering, and it's my Hispanic tenants. You know, these guys actually don't speak a, a lick of English. Gosh. They're like, they're super panicked, and they're like, blah, 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 electricity, blah, 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 blah. And I can't understand anything other than electricity, something electric. electric it sounded like there's a fire. So I was <laughs> like, I was like, all right, I'm going to come down. And so I get in my car, I race down there, and... You know, I get to their their unit and like you know the power's out and I'm like, all right guys, like what's the big deal here? And they're like, well, we can't find the you know the circuit breaker, the box. I'm like the electrical box. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like where where is it? Like I just bought this property like maybe a month or two ago. And so I was like, well, I don't know where it is. So we're looking around, looking around, and we realize 
you know, there is no box in the unit. So we, we go over to the next unit, knock on the door and wake up a grumpy tenant like, hey, you know, can we check and see if your box is there? So, you know, we go in there, we open up the box and sure enough, you know, their box actually, you know, was responsible for the electricity in their unit. So, and they had just tripped a, they just tripped a circuit breaker. So I flipped the circuit breaker. They had power, they were happy, but that was the point in time when I realized like, I can't manage my own properties because, you know, I obviously don't, you know, know enough Spanish, nor do I, you know, have enough, you know, time in my hands to, to deal with situations like this when, you And know, you were going to a game. So I, it was the night before a game. How'd you play the next day? I guess that's the... the yeah, I played like craft guys. So that, that was basically the moment in time where I was like, I need to hire a property <laughs> management company. That, that, was, that was it for me. I was like, you know what? No more uh, of this stuff. And, but it was a good learning experience to, to have, you know, manage my own properties because, uh, you know, I learned a lot about tenants and, you know, oh, kind gotcha. of pit, what pitfalls, you know, you get, you know, and, you know, there, there's a ton of those. But yeah, it's, that's my story about how I got out of the property management business. You know, before I exited it myself, just funny story on the heels of that, I got a call on a Sunday morning, similar to yours, and it was a single call, and this was in my younger years, and I was probably a little hungover on Sunday morning, and so I got a call straight to voicemail is where I sent it. Second one comes in, and it was kind of the double dial situation, same as yours, and I'm like, oh, crap. All right, what is it? Pick up the phone. And it was these two girls that I had rented to, and they had clogged the toilet, and they wanted me to come over and fix it. I politely told them that that was what their father was for and then call them. <laughs> but that was also the point in time where I was like, I can't do this anymore, man. So wow. it's, there. yeah, it's, yeah, it was just, there's, you know, the cool thing about real estate, I think is that you can scale it, you know, to whatever you want. If you want to be totally hands-on and manage your properties, Hey, that power to you. But you know, for a small fee, and I think it's really nominal. You can get somebody to handle that for you. You know, somebody who's you know well qualified and you know better skilled at, at that kind of stuff, and will answer the phone on weekends when you don't want to. Hey, Nat, what are you paying your property manager? About eight percent. You know, I got a pretty good deal. I'm paying six percent. You know, I, I've got you know more units probably than than most you know investors. Yeah. You know, who who yeah. they they work with. So my scale helps there. You know, at some point in time, I would like to get to the point in time where you know I do have a a full-time, you know, property manager, you know, who's, who's dealing with those, those types of things, you know, not a third party. I think that would be, you know, the dream for the future, but for right now, yeah, it's, and I think it's, it's a really small fee, really reasonable. You're getting a good deal. You're getting yeah. a really good deal there. Are, are they taking half of the first month's rent when they locate? No, uh, they do charge a, a leasing fee. It's, it's just, it's like 200 bucks wow. for a new lease. It's not, it's not much. Yeah. yeah. And Jer- Jared, who we had on the show, it's very similar to that. His percentage for the average person is a little bit higher than six, but money well spent, Matt, that's for sure. At 6%, a couple hundred buck leasing fee, that's uh, that's the best money you can spend next to, you know, childcare <laughs> at times. <laughs> now, yeah. what percentage of your portfolio is now currently in Salem? 50%. So, you know, we, we've moved, uh, you know, we're starting to move, you know, the Salt Lake portfolio over and, you know, we bought a, you know, God, we doubled in size this year, you know, in Salem, basically, and and from what we did, in, what we had the previous seven years in Salt Lake, which has been awesome, and you know, it's a credit to you know having you know investors and you know being able to have you know those kinds of, of relationships with you know the money. So yeah, and, and definitely you know the goal is to keep buying and until that special day comes where you know you can just kind of hang out and not do that if you don't want to. But of course, you know, and, I love Do you see yourself in the near future being almost exclusively in Salem or the vast majority in Salem? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it's just, again, I, I've just fallen in love with that market. I really like the people I'm working with down there. And we want to live in, you know, here in, in Oregon, you know, for the long term. So I, I, I just think it makes sense for us. Would you ever live in Salem? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I don't know last time you guys have been down there, Steve. I don't know last time you went down there. You, you know, it's it's changing, man. There's a lot. The eclipse. <laughs> 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 hey, side, side note, I actually rented out one of my vacant properties for three nights and I got $500 a night for that property, which was like just unbelievable for the During eclipse. During the eclipse. Yeah. yeah I believe it. I believe, believe it. it. Yeah. Should have uh, held out for a thousand. Yeah. That's- <laughs> <laughs> South Salem is really nice. I really like South Salem. A lot of Salem is a, is a bit flat for my blood and for my taste. But South Salem is really nice. Rolling hills and, and great schools. That's a really nice part of Salem. West Salem's not bad, but I hear there's a lot of traffic with the bridge. It causes some issues. Yeah, yeah the traffic thing is something. That's a big gripe, you know, mm-hmm. among a lot of people who live in Salem, just getting over that bridge in the morning and, and at night. But yeah, I would agree with you. Obviously, from the landscape perspective, West Salem and South Salem are, are a bit you know, better to look at. And, but I, you know, the, the value is, is on the East side. Yeah. Certain areas you have to stay away from. Absolutely. You know, you got to stay away from center street for sure. Some areas definitely, you know, felony flats areas and things Schemeketa, like that. Or, yeah. The Chemeketa area and some of the, some of those areas are pretty well. The, tr- the trade-off is though, they are on the North side of town. So you have some great proximity to freeways in Portland. So like Kaiser, I think Kaiser will benefit from that in, Again, as people get outpriced in Portland, I just have to think that people are going to start driving until they they qualify to buy. And, and, you know, some of those Kaiser North parts of Salem will benefit, especially as as you see, you know, people working in more Wilsonville and some of those areas. So, yep, cool. Absolutely. I know we had to let you get going. So, yeah. So. We want to thank you for joining us, Nat. But for those of us or those that are listening to the show and, you know, maybe want to get in touch with you about investing in Salem or otherwise, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, great question. So I, I'm all over social media. You can get in touch with me at Nat Borchers at pretty much, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, that stuff. You can email me. Always happy to, you know, answer questions. My email address is pretty easy. It's beard like my facial hair at natborchers.com. So, you know, feel free to, to reach out if you, you have any questions, you want to learn more about what I'm doing. Very cool. Well, we'll definitely encourage everybody to do that. Steve, any parting words for our guests? No, or thank, for you our for, thank you for coming on the show. I can tell you've got a, a solid gig going and I'm excited to see you just continue to, to blossom and continued success to you in, in your endeavors in that regards. Thank you guys. I really appreciate being on and good luck to you. I'll be listening. Very cool. Thanks, well, thanks, thanks again for joining us. All right, everybody out there and listening around, this wraps up this episode. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.